From Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Chabal, and this is a special episode of the Vine Pair Podcast, where today I have the pleasure of being joined by Heidi Scheid, who's the Executive Vice President and uh, Chief Sunny Officer for Scheid Family Wines. Heidi, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me, Zach. Okay, so we got to unpack the job title for us. What does Chief Sunny Officer mean? <laughs> well, uh, my real title is Executive Vice President of Scheid Family Wines, um, our family-owned and operated wine company um, in Monterey County. Um, we were founded by my father, Al Scheid, in 1972, um, and I have been here for 30 years. Chief Sunny Officer has come about in the last two years because we have launched a brand in the Better For You category called Sunny with a Chance of Flowers. And uh, our brand manager gave me that name of Chief Sunny Officer. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, we're, we're certainly going to get into uh, Sunny with a Chance of Flowers and talk a little bit about those wines. But I want to ask a little bit more um, about Scheid Family and uh, kind of where you're located. Because I think for some listeners, for sure, um, you know, Monterey County is one of these appellations that, you know, you maybe have heard of. You probably are aware that Monterey, California exists. Uh, maybe you've been to an aquarium or something. Uh, but but understanding it as a wine growing region, I think, is actually kind of uh, beyond a lot of people, even people who are somewhat into wine. So, Heidi, can you kind of uh, locate us and, and tell us a little bit about the region more generally before we talk about sort of your wine specifically? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, Monterey County is the in the central coast of California. A lot of people know of Monterey because of the Gulf, the aquarium, as you pointed out, uh, the Concourse d'Elegance, which is a um, a great car event, and Laguna Seca. So there's all kinds of reasons to know about Monterey County other than wine grapes. But it also happens to be an amazing region and appellation to grow wine grapes. Um, my father first planted vines there in 1972. Um, he was one of the pioneers of the region. And it's really a beautiful, cool climate region. Um, the Monterey Bay has a very significant influence on the climate. Um, there's two mountain ranges coming down the Salinas Valley, the Gabalon Range to the east and the Santa Lucia Range to the west. And it really creates just this incredible environment for growing wine grapes where you can grow these beautiful aromatic whites and Chardonnay and Pinot Noir in the northern part of the county, and then coming down towards Paso Robles, um, about 70 miles down the Salinas Valley, beautiful spot for Cabernets and Petit Syrahs, Petit Verdots, just big, bold reds. And you mentioned that this is uh, the 50th uh, kind of anniversary for you and for the for the family wine business. When your dad got the business started, what were the some of the first plantings? <laughs> a lot of French Columbard and Chenin Blanc. I wish we had some of that Chenin Blanc back now. Yeah. Maybe not so much the French Columbard. And we had some <laughs> weird varietals like Sylvaner and Flora and stuff that you know really isn't planted that much anymore. No Pinot Noir and Nor no Merlot. That that came much later. And as far as kind of a, a little bit more about the region, just just because I'm curious, as far as kind of uh, you know you sort of explained it from a. I guess, sort of geographic standpoint and a little bit about some of the the growing conditions. But in terms of like, uh, and obviously you don't have to have the exact numbers uh, on hand, but like size-wise, like how much acreage are we talking about roughly? And like how many different uh, growers or wineries are there in the in the region? Well, Monterey County has always been typified by having fewer growers of larger size. Um, there's about 45,000 planted acres in Monterey County today. Uh, we grow about 3,000 acres ourselves. Okay. Um, and so growers do tend to be on the larger size, you know, much more so than Napa, which is very small sure. pieces of land. I think when Monterey started, 
in the um, early 70s, it was more production style vineyards. And, okay. um, and that kind of lended itself towards greater acreage. I see. And as far as now, obviously, you know, we're, we're talking about, um, as you said, kind of a diverse range of varieties, a diverse range of um, potentially kind of growing conditions. But you mentioned the cool climate. And I'm wondering, you know, as we start to transition into talking about the Sunny with a Chance of Flowers wines, what is it that about the, the growing conditions in Monterey County that you think make it sort of uh, well-suited, obviously for viticulture more broadly, but maybe specifically for the kind of wines you're trying to make uh, for this brand? Well, it's very windy. And um, generally speaking, you know, a cooler climate in Monterey County, very long growing season. And so what that allows us to do is to really let the grapes hang on the vine and just develop beautiful flavors. And that really comes in handy when you're starting to remove alcohol and creating, um, you know, a a lower alcohol wine, you really have to start with very big flavors. And that's what Uh Monterey County is known for is just great varietal character for the Pinot Noirs and Chardonnays in particular. Okay, so you mentioned removing alcohol, and I don't want to get into a technical discussion quite yet. Um, But, you know, we got to warm up a little bit before we get into that. (laughs) But I do want to sort of start with this question for you, Heidi, which is, you know, when it comes to this category, um, you know, you said better for you, we're talking about, you know, sort of, you know, people who might be, you know, looking at um, wine as a part of their health goals. What do you see? And obviously, there can be multiple answers, but I'm just curious, kind of in generalities, what do you see as being kind of the reasons why someone would look at a product like setting of the chance of flowers like what are the some of the the kind of key components that you think help kind of distinguish it it's such a great question and we talk about this a lot internally because there are a whole lot of different answers and you know we try to dig into you know who is buying this and why um, you know from personal experience in my family I have a 29 year old daughter and an 85 year old mom and I sit in between. I'm not going to tell you exactly where, um, <laughs> but we all kind of drink it for different reasons. You know, my my daughter and her friends drink it because they appreciate that sessionability. You know, that's the the word of the day for the millennials. Um, they like to be able to have a wine that they can drink at brunch, that they can take to the beach, that they can have sitting around by the pool. Um, you know, if they're watching The Bachelor on Monday night or something like that, they can have a glass or two and and still make it home okay and get up for work the next day. So they appreciate that sessionability. For me, I enjoy having a glass or two of wine in the evening to wind down from the workday, but I also get up pretty early in the morning to exercise. So I don't want to have, you know, that morning fog that you get after a couple of glasses of wine or feel crummy. And then my 85-year-old mom had actually given up drinking alcohol, um, you know, the last few years until we introduced Sunny. She just felt like, you know, as she had gotten older, that it wasn't doing her any favors, that maybe it wasn't great to have combined with any type of medication she was on. And bringing a low alcohol wine onto the market gave her the ability to still enjoy a glass or two of wine in the evening, something that she had enjoyed her entire life. She actually started to cry the first time that she tried Sunny with a Chance of Flowers because she called me up and she said, Heidi, you've allowed me to reclaim part of my life that I thought I had given up forever. So it really works um, on a lot of different levels for different ages. Yeah, I imagine that must have been rather satisfying. <laughs> um, <laughs> she's our, she's one of our best customers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, so I want to ask too about the this, a little bit into the sort of uh, the origins of the of the wines. You know, 
they all kind of clock in at 9% alcohol. How did you kind of reach that point? Because I would imagine that when you're when you're looking at kind of where where to situate a wine where you are removing some of the alcohol, you obviously have, I think, you know, probably a, a pretty reasonable range of, 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 you know, kind of final alcohols you could uh, arrive at. So how did kind of 9% become that that magic number? We did a lot of tasting trials. And I mean, like we did hundreds of tasting trials to come up with what we call, kind of call the sweet spot. And mm-hmm. we tested everything from 7% to 12%. We felt like we needed to be below 11% to really be okay. able to call it low alcohol. Um, at like 7 and 8%, we felt like, you know, maybe we could do that with the Sauvignon Blanc and it would still have really great varietal character and and we could nail it vintage after vintage. But as we started to get into the red varietals, we felt like you really just lost too much. You were just giving up too much to get the low alcohol. So it was really finding that balance and we wanted it to be the same across all varietals. So we settled in at 9% because we felt like for any varietal, um, we could deliver a wine that really gave uh, consumers that aroma and flavor that they were looking for, and also the mouthfeel and the texture that is so important with wine. Yeah. And that's actually a really interesting point because I think that, you know, I've tasted in the course of, uh, you know, doing uh, podcasts and writing and things like that, any a, a number of uh, low alcohol, alcohol, and you know, and even alcohol removed wines. And and I think that you, you mentioned texture and mouthfeel, and I think those are often some of the most difficult things to preserve in wines where you are through one means or another kind of lowering the alcohol content. I, I, we don't, again, don't have to get into, into the technical side of it unless you care to, but, but kind of how do you feel like that's something that you've managed to achieve with these wines? Well, you have to start off with great fruit. I mean, we always say that flavors are made in the vineyard. So you can, you can do things to wine once you get them to the winery, but you can't, inject flavor. (laughs) So you really have to start with great fruit. And that's where I think we have an advantage in that the Sunny with a Chance of Flower wines are made from our estate grown fruit in Monterey. So we're already kind of starting with a really great appellation for the varietals that we're producing. Um, You know, beyond that, I think the process of how you remove the alcohol is very important. Um, There are two primary types of technology that are used, um, spinning cone technology and reverse osmosis. We settled in on reverse osmosis as being the most gentle process and the one that was best able to preserve the flavors and the aromas. And so we kind of started with reverse osmosis as our base, and then we did some proprietary changes to that technology to really come up with something that we felt would deliver the best wine possible. And I think also really interesting in that note to me is that you did mention that you know you kind of saw it as being important that you the the wines across the the brand which is now encompasses five wines um Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, Cabernet Sauvignon and a Rosé that they all have sort of the same specs right that 9% alcohol, 85 calories and zero sugar. Sorry, yes, of course missed the important one uh, for some. <laughs> Do you feel like that is like the the rationale behind that is just was I assume you know sort of to kind of keep things consistent for consumers, but but I, I do you feel like that's um like are there other benefits to having that sort of um uh, consistent those consistent kind of I want metrics isn't the right word but consistent measurements for the wines kind of across the brand. 
Yeah, I mean, we we felt so from a consumer point of view, you know, internally, the way that we speak about it, the way our sales team speaks about it, the way our distributors speak about it, to just have that consistent messaging all the way across. So, you know, the primary attributes being zero sugar, 9% alcohol, 85 calories, and then all the wines are, you know, Monterey Appellated, certified, sustainable, estate grown, vegan friendly, gluten free. So you can just kind of make the statement about all the wines in the sunny with a chance of flowers family and know that that's what you're going to be getting. Yeah. And I think it does speak to something too, that, you know, as you mentioned, some of those attributes, estate grown, you know, that, that has a sustainability attached to it, that, that, you know, sometimes you see wines out in this kind of space that are, you know, this isn't to knock bulk wine, there's nothing wrong with bulk wine per se, but it can be pretty hard to say anything definitive about the grapes themselves, um, when maybe even the people buying them are not totally sure where they came from. Yeah. Is the growing of these grapes any different than what you do for your other wines? You know, not really. Um, and I think some lower alcohol wines um, have taken the approach of harvesting earlier so that they start with less sugar to begin with and sugar converts mm-hmm. into alcohol. So therefore, they're ending up with a lower alcohol wine. But we have really found that in order to get the aromatics and the flavor that we want for the Pinot Noir to taste like Pinot Noir, um, that it really, you have to start with fully ripened grapes, um, you know, grapes with full flavor development. And then you bring them into the winery. And we actually just make wine like we would make a regular alcohol, Pinot Noir or Chardonnay or Sauvignon Blanc or, or what have you. Um, so usually we end up with a wine between, you know, 13 and a half to 14.1, 14.2%. And then that's when we use our proprietary process to remove the alcohol, a portion of the alcohol. Gotcha. And then I'm curious too, I have a, a couple of, a couple more kind of brand related questions, just because it's been a subject of fascination for us on the podcast recently. The first is, how did you kind of come up with the, with the name and the branding itself, right? Obviously, when you enter into this space, you've got sort of infinite possibilities. And, and what did, where did sort of Sunny with a Chance of Flowers come from? And, and kind of what do you feel like it means for you and for the brand? Um, well, Sunny with a Chance of Flowers actually was brought to us by a wonderful creative director, Teresa Scripps. And at the time when we started talking about producing the wine, we didn't, we hadn't settled on it being, you know, kind of in the better for you category. I just thought it was a wonderful name. It made me smile. Um, I, it, it was before COVID, but even before COVID, uh, one could argue that the world could always use more positivity. And mm-hmm. I just loved the way that it was um, just, you know, a charming name that kind of was unconventional because it was so long of a name. You don't usually see um, wine names that have so many words in them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and I thought it was just kind of different and, and wonderful. And then it was as we started working on the brand and really trying to bring it to life that we merged it with our idea of doing a low alcohol, low calorie, zero sugar wine. And then I'm also curious too, because I think um, for for listeners who may be somewhat familiar with the product itself, you know, you you've relatively recently added the the Cabernet Sauvignon and the Rosé, meaning you just kind of started out with Pinot Noir. Uh, Sauvignon Blanc and Chardonnay. When you made the decision to add on, wh- what was kind of what were the kind of considerations there? Well, we always wanted to do a Cabernet, but um, mm-hmm. we weren't happy when we originally were doing um, our trials on it. It's a little bit trickier because, of course, you know tannin and um, more of a robustness is a characteristic of Cabernet. And and so you start to remove some of the alcohol and the tannins become more pronounced and Ah. it's not as pleasurable of a drinking experience. So we kind of put that one on the back burner and said, okay, we're going to keep working on that. Um, And then the rosé is 
exactly the opposite of that. A rosé is a fairly easy wine from a winemaking point of view to make lower alcohol. It tends to be lower alcohol to begin with. Um, Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, you're harvesting um, grapes for rosé much earlier than you're harvesting other grapes. So that one was kind of a slam dunk. So we thought, well, this is great. We can kind of coming out of the gate the second time, we can do the rosé, which we've really got a great handle on. And then we can just make sure that we keep working on the Cabernet until we get it to a point where we're super happy with it. And we were really, really happy with where the Cabernet ended up. Um, We bottled it right before Thanksgiving. And Mm -hmm. I actually um, took a bunch of bottles over to my father, Al Scheid's um, house for Thanksgiving. Um, And it was great because I don't know what time you have Thanksgiving dinner. We (laughs) used to have it like at five o'clock in the afternoon and then it was like four and then it was three and now it's like at one in the afternoon and so you're supposed to get there at 11 and start drinking so we just opened up the sunny and were able to drink sunny cabernet from like 11 a.m till 5 p.m and we were all fine like nobody got in fights there were no political (laughs) arguments so it was the perfect wine for the situation well any wine that can Promise that at the Thanksgiving dinner table obviously has a place in the marketplace. Um, <laughs> maybe you don't promise that, but at least at least offer the possibility. I should yeah. say. Um, I wanted to ask too about about the the sort of element you mentioned of um, the sort of positivity of the brand and all that kind of you know positivity as a as a brand identity is obviously you know people generally respond well to positivity, me included. Um, but like you know, kind of more granularly, are there any things that you guys are doing kind of within that to sort of reinforce that that brand I- value and identity? Um, lots of things. I mean, we um, each, each capsule on the brand has a different message of positivity. You know, the Chardonnay is choose happy and the Pinot Noir is glass is half full. We have power of positivity and um, be the sunshine. So we very much have that message of positivity threaded throughout the brand as well as through social media, um, you know, partnering with different influencers and and different people outside of the wine space, um, you know, partnering with organizations um, that really promote positivity and health and wellness and, you know, a well-rounded and moderate lifestyle. Excellent. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about more about enjoying these wines. Um, and the answers might be very simple. So if that's the case, that's the case. Would you say to someone who picks up a bottle of, um, you know, any of the wines that they, their, their best bet would be to just to treat it no differently than they would treat, um, a full alcohol version of the same variety? Well, it's going to taste a little bit different. I mean, it's just going to sit on your palate a little bit differently, I should say. I mean, you know, we talked about that a little bit um, a few minutes ago about texture and mouthfeel and weight is the other component. So you, it is a lighter style of wine. So let's say the Sunny with a Chance of Flowers Pinot Noir, um, it's not going to taste like a Pinot Noir from the Russian River Valley, <laughs> you know, the kind of the bigger California style Pinot Noir. It's actually yeah. going to take taste a lot more like a Burgundian Pinot Noir, where it's going to be a little bit lighter. I love to drink the Sunny Pinot Noir with just a little bit of chill on it. Um, They're easy drinking wines. They're very true to variety. I mean, you are definitely going to get those beautiful cherry berry flavors and aromas that you would expect when you pour a glass of Pinot Noir, but it is going to sit on your palate a little bit lighter. 
And, you know, we mentioned kind of the the some differences or at least some ways to approach kind of um, enjoying these wines, including maybe with a little bit of a chill. I know this is a sort of we're kind of getting to the point of the podcast where I have to kind of ask the like, what comes next questions, um, which are my maybe my favorite part of these kinds of podcasts, <laughs> to be honest. So, you know, one thing that we've been uh, sort of kicking around a lot in the in the Vibe Pair team and, and have talked to people about and heard about is sort of what are some possibilities for wine moving forward? And one of the things that's obviously on a lot of people's minds is alternative packaging, you know, and, and cans in particular seem like they might be um, a really natural fit with setting with a chance of flowers. Is that something that you guys are looking at? And obviously, you know, if you can't, can't break any news here, we understand. So uh, I won't take it personally. <laughs> um, we're an open book, Zach. Okay. <laughs> um, we're looking at all kinds of things with Sunny. I mean, what's exciting about the brand is it is already breaking the mold of traditional wine by doing something different. So sure. we have a program that we're working on right now with Q Mixers, where we're doing um, different sunny spritzes and sunny cocktails. So there's a sunny mule and a sunny Rita and all kinds of great mm. um, things that you can do with sunny. And so that's not something that you would probably do with a traditional wine, although you could, but because sunny is already operating in a somewhat non-traditional space, we can continue to push those boundaries. Um, so looking at sunny spritzes, looking at potentially cans in the future, certainly um, looking at sunny sparkling, you know, is very appealing. So we're looking at all kinds of things right now. Oh yeah. Sign me up for the sparkling. I, I could use more sparkling wine and we fewer hangovers. Could. So that sounds, sounds like a win <laughs> to me on both fronts. And then, you know, we, we kind of mentioned the the sparkling and some of the other things that are coming, but for, for people who are a little more focused in the here and now, and, and obviously, you know, people have Google, they can always look this up, but if they want a little more information about like just getting their hands on these wines, what, what are some options for folks? Well, we're available in retailers across the country. So Whole Foods, Target, Kroger um, are three big accounts that are across the country. Um, our website is sunnywines.com. Um, while you're on sunnywines.com, um, you know, part of our message of positivity is every year we do a sweepstakes to win a year of flowers. So you can enter the sweepstakes to um, the winner gets monthly flower delivery to their house. So that's kind of lovely. I wish I was eligible for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have to if, if, if someone with the last name Shide wins, we're gonna have some questions. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> We'd be suspicious, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. And then I think kind of the last thing I, I wanted to ask you about Heidi is, you know, when you look at sort of the future of this category and and uh, and maybe specifically for uh, the sunny wines or maybe for the category more broadly, do you see like, uh, and again, I, I'm, we're not trying to put you on the spot here and you're not obviously a sworn to any of this, but do you see a, a, a sort of possible future where however many years from now, five, 10, whatever, that people in this sort of low alcohol space have, you know, obviously not going to have the same number of options as, um, you know, sort of traditional wine, but that, you know, theoretically, they someone could be deciding if they feel today like their low alcohol Malbec or their low alcohol, you know, uh, GSM blend or their low alcohol, I don't know, Chenin Blanc, whatever. Um, or do you think that, you know, kind of for the time being, people are going to stick, you guys are otherwise kind of to the most uh, well-known and understood uh, wine styles and varieties, because obviously that's where, you know, the bulk of consumers are. You know, health and wellness is the largest consumer industry in the world. So mm -hmm. I think that there's going to continue to be a push to giving consumers an alternative. It's really what opened our eyes to um, the the possibility of low alcohol, you know, being something that consumers wanted is because 
we ourselves, you know, within the company, we're always on the lookout, you know, me in particular for that lower alcohol wine. You know, there were years where I was just drinking Vino Verde because that was the lowest alcohol wine I could find that was readily available. And I think now that, you know, that box has been opened and there are lower alcohol brands out there, I think that that will continue. Yeah. And, and probably, you know, the, the success of, of your wines and, and a few others that have come, come into the market relatively recently, I'm sure will continue to embolden you guys and, and lots of other people to expand the offerings. Because obviously, uh, as you've no doubt seen, there's, there's definitely a market for, for these products. Yeah. I mean, timing is everything. And I think the timing on this um, worked out really well. You know, we launched this in the beginning, towards the beginning of COVID, um, I think it was in this June of 2020. So we yeah. were three months into COVID and we kind of laughed to ourselves and thought, wow, maybe we're going about this the wrong way. Everyone seems to be drinking more. I think maybe we should make Sunny 19% alcohol and people would really appreciate that. <laughs> um, but then, then, you know, it kind of came back around. People settled down, you know, they realized like, okay, we've got to, um, we've got to change our habits here and get back into, you know, health and wellness and, I think that that is a change that we're seeing around the country and we're seeing it in all types of products. So it's not just wine. Um, you know, we see it in everything. I like to say from dog food to donuts, like who feeds their dog food? Like that regular, when I was a kid, you just fed them all your table scraps and some mushy canned food. And now there's all the gourmet stuff out there. You know, we all feed our dogs stuff that we would eat ourselves. And it's the same thing with um, all types of products around the market. And wine is no different, that there needs to be an alternative that allows people to continue to pursue their health and wellness goals and still enjoy a glass of wine or two in the evening. Yeah, to be able to kind of find that middle ground that I think people want to be in um, and maybe until recently had to kind of choose one or the other. So, yeah, excellent. Well, Heidi, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, appreciate it getting to try the the wines and to learn a little bit more about them and about kind of the the uh, sending with a chance of flowers you know, brand, but more than that, just sort of the, the idea and the ethos behind them. So again, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Zach. I had a great time. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, Vine Pair Stacey's director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the Vine Pair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.